Hi, I'm Jane Lynch, and you're listening to Iconography on Sirius XM OutQ 108. Iconography. I got a bee in my bonnet, Western Ohio. You know what I've had it up to here with? Sneaky gays. Gone are the days of Oscar Wilde, Liberace, homosexuals so flaming they could be seen from space. Why, nowadays, sneaky gays are everywhere. At the church, at the mall, picking up their meticulously dressed, fastidious children from daycare. Why, you could be sitting next to a sneaky gay right now, and you'd never even know it. And that just don't sit right with one Sue Sylvester. Now, I got nothing against gays. Just ask my sassy intern, Tyler. He has to live in my tool shed because I deny him health care as I consider gayness a pre-existing condition. But what Sue Sylvester doesn't like? Looking around and never knowing if a sneaky gay is in her midst. We should be able to see a gay coming a mile away. Is it wrong for me to long for the simpler days of yesteryear when performers weren't so confusing? Jagger, Bowie, you knew they were women. But nowadays, this internationally ranked cheerleading coach just can't figure it out. Neil Patrick Harris, you confuse me. I hear you're gay, but there you are on my TV playing a normal womanizing cardigan wearing straight. That's confusing. And then I heard a rumor you're not actually a doctor. So much sneaky gay deception. Adam Lambert, you're on the right track, but still too subtle. Now, don't get me wrong, I'll listen to your music. I'll even hum it under my breath as I head into the voting booth the next time a state government offers me the chance to deny you your basic rights. But know that Sue Sylvester ain't gonna be satisfied until you swish it up a bit. Black nail polish? Swish it up a bit. I want to see enormous fuchsia rhinestone studded gay claws so cumbersome you can't even perform the most basic acts of personal hygiene. Eyeliner? Swish it up a bit. I want pencil-thin, drawn-on eyebrows, Botox, and lips so full of collagen that you look like a real housewife of whatever region you happen to be living in. So swish it up, gays, because if I can't tell who's gay, how will I know who to judge? And that's how Sue sees it. There's a point in everyone's life when we become attracted to other people. It often happens as children in school as friendship gives way to infatuation, and infatuation triggers feelings of love and sexuality. For Jane Lynch, those feelings initially sparked confusion about what it meant to be gay. So I was reading reading your book, Happy Accidents, and I think the moment that I found most charming is that you heard the word gay and thought it was a disease. Yeah. And you know why I thought that was so charming? Because mm. I did too. Did you? Yeah. I did. We're we're That was charming of us to think. It that. was very charming of us <laughs> because so we're because we're roughly the same age mm-hmm. and kids of the late sixties, early seventies, mm-hmm. I didn't know gay people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know what they looked like. I'm from a blue collar Italian Catholic family. Mm-hmm. What are gay people? Yeah. When did you realize that gay wasn't a disease? Oh, it took a while. I mean, I was out having relationships when I thought it was a disease, <laughs> that it was this affliction. Maybe not a disease so much, but just this thing that's going to make us weird and different. And we have to go to our own bars. And, you know, we have these parades where these guys dance around in chaps. <laughs> and I just want to be one of the world. You know, I didn't want to be a dyke on the bike. And, you know, now I look at that and go, how fun is that? How fun is the gay community? But when I was... Uh, younger, it was like this, you know, dudes, this is just making us separate. Just making, don't, people are going to be afraid of us. Don't do that. Put your pants on. <laughs> did you, <laughs> I thought the same thing. <laughs> did you, did you ever, did you ever feel like, because this is, this is what I think is so beautiful about your activism, even when you're not aware of it. 
you make more of an of an impact infiltrating the mainstream mm. than screaming from the fringe, don't yeah. you believe? I think so. Um, you know, we all do it our own way. And my infiltrating the straight world just came out of my necessity to be one of the world, be one of the greater world. Um, uh, but I think there, it, it, I think screaming from the fringes, there's a kind of a, it's a necessary evolutionary component to going forward. You need those people who were like, we're here and we're queer. We needed them because they had, we, the world had to hear us, you know, God damn it. Listen to us. We're here and we're queer. You're not going to get rid of us. But I would not have been in that group. That would not have been me. When did you realize that you weren't like all the other little girls in your class? Um, probably when I started wearing my dad's suits. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, uh, let's see. When did I realize that? Well, when girls started having crushes on boys and I, I, I couldn't get it up, as it were. I, was, I couldn't even pretend. I always would have a crush on a boy. Um, uh, and it was usually some very um, benign boy, meaning that he would he wasn't very masculine. Maybe maybe gay, probably. You know, some of them were gay. Um, and and I always had a girl I had a crush on too. So throughout the year, year I but the girl crush was always soulful, and I wanted to kiss her, and I wanted to touch her, I wanted her to know me. And the boy crush was really truly me, kind of wishing I could be that boy. I was I I, I uh, was really felt I was in the wrong sex for a long time. Really? I, not, I know not all gay people have that experience. Like, I, you know, I know a lot of gay people and I, I'm not, uh, they're not, they didn't have the same thing I had. But, you know, it's, it's fascinating because I went through the same kind of confusion. I think a lot of people do where mm -hmm. they're not sure if they want that person of the same gender to be someone whom they could love or if they just want to be. Want to be that person. Be them. Yeah. And, and um it, 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 it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. very, I still want to be some guys. I want to be John Hamm. Why do you want to be John Hamm? He's sexy and he's funny and he he's just, I mean, I mean, you have to, I don't know, you can probably get this from Mad Men that he's just, he's a great actor and he's got this male thing going. I mean, he's male, but he's got like a girl sense of humor in a way. He giggles and that's, he's just the perfect, he's the perfect man as far as I'm concerned. Come on, boys, potatoes in the paddy wagon, gotta get her out of there. Come on, boys, potatoes in the paddy wagon, mama says it just ain't fair. Jean has had a field day merging her own strength of attraction, especially the seismic tug between masculinity and femininity in a variety of films, most notably A Mighty Wind. Um, I don't believe that anyone noticed when I blew town at 15 and ended up in San Francisco, California, and it's at this point in my story that the dark clouds part <laughs> because I met a certain Mr. Wiseman who gave me a job in his shop. And before long, he tapped me to do some small roles in some of his short films <laughs> for more mature audiences. And uh, before long, I had landed, if you will, some leads. And uh, then I started to do some uh, cameos. Um, well, I was known for... Uh, doing a certain thing that many of the other girls wouldn't do. And of course, I love to sing ever since I was a little girl. And um, I learned to play the ukulele in one of my last films, uh, Not So Tiny Tim. And uh, based on that, my world opened up because I was invited to join the reformed New Main Street Singers. And that's where I met my man. And uh, before long, I was the new Mrs. Boner. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> Beautiful story. I tell you. It? 
Do you think you're sexy? Do I think I'm sexy? I think I can be. I look in the mirror now and I kind of look like a middle-aged woman and I don't think I feel very sexy at all. <laughs> but it, there was a time when, yeah, I felt my sexual power as a woman. Yeah, and right after Mighty Wind, I kind that kind of kicked in. How do you feel when people regard you as sexy now? Because you are smoking. Oh, thank you. That's and I'm a gay sweet. man, so. <laughs> that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. Gosh, I don't know. I, uh. Like someone will, uh, uh, like a young person will say that to me, and I, I really don't believe them. I think maybe they have a mommy crush on me or something. <laughs> An enormous part of Jane's power is the sense that she is often walking the line between other joy and extreme fury, much like Sue Sylvester. I'm going to ask you to smell your armpits. That's the smell of failure, and it's stinking up my office. You describe yourself in your book as as uh, having once been a real life Sue Sylvester, yeah. which I can believe, but don't believe. I believe that we all go through mm-hmm. that kind of anger usually when we're trying to figure out who we are. Yeah, yeah is that well, is that what happened to you? Yeah, you know, just trying to. Uh, I, I think I kind of feared who I was, and I didn't like it, and um, I wanted to, you know, kind of make the world suffer for that, and. Um, so, uh, uh, what my mode of attack would be was to find a person's, what I perceived maybe as their vulnerability and go after it. And, um, you know, it was me going after my own and I just, I just didn't know. I had no, I hadn't taken a psychology class. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. Um, uh, I, I, you know, was putting myself in a position of judgment of other people, especially in the theater world. And, um, you know, when I was working in Chicago in plays, I was very critical of everything that went on and fancied myself, you know, a classical trained actress. And I know better. And, uh, you know, it didn't make for many friends. (laughs) So when did you realize, A, that you had the power to affect people, whether it be good or not so good? Mm -hmm. And when did you start to use it in in a way that felt right? I had to settle within myself first. Um, you know, I, I was no good to the world um, in that self-hating place. That was that I wasn't of any service to anybody but myself. I was a, it was you know, I was a, it was a really narcissistic phase in my life where um, I could not get out of myself and see anybody else, and um, uh, you know, it was all about me, 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 me. And um, in, in AA, they say, you know, I'm the biggest piece of shit in the universe. And in that, in that uh, sentences, um, I, I don't uh, add up to very much and I am everything <laughs> all at the same time. Um, that's, that's exactly where I was. And when did that happen? I, I started therapy. I, I had this wonderful therapist uh, who I had a, you know, therapy is great if you find the right therapist for you. It's kind of like dating and you have to kind of find the right person. And um, I... I you know, happy accidented into this, to quote the name of my book, uh, into this uh, woman who was just wonderful. And um, she nurtured me and uh, in a way that I hadn't been before. She was really smart. She, you know, kind of went through the, that those layers of sentimentality that you kind of start out with um, and just blew through those and said, those aren't, that's not real. That's not real. That's not real. And then we get to the real stuff. And, uh, you know, she really, really, really helped me settle myself, settle within myself and love myself. Still ahead, how did Jane Lynch merge self-love with sobriety? 
Find out as iconography Jane Lynch continues here on Sirius XM LQ 108.